0: Hello and welcome to Hiccup, the podcast series that explores all things parenting and mom life. I'm Jen, aka Irish Mama Bias, and each week I'll be joined by a special mum guest. We'll have a chat, we'll answer some of your listener questions and just have some fun. So sit back, relax, if possible, grab a cup of tea and enjoy the show. christmas is coming everybody and i would like to give a special mention to genius juniors an initiative set up by dr christina mcdonald genius juniors has an amazing selection of children's books all proceeds go to children's hospitals such as temple street and crumbling genius juniors have a wonderful selection of christmas books available why not buy a beautiful gift while supporting an amazing cause visit www.geniusjuniors.ie in this week's episode i talked to tam aka olympic mommy Tam talks me through her extraordinary journey to becoming Ireland's first female contestant in the Winter Olympics. We discuss how her passion for skiing and the lessons she has learned have continued to help her throughout her life. We discuss her journey to becoming a mother and what she hopes for her future. An amazing episode with a real-life Olympian and amazing mum. Not to be missed.
1: Okay, hello and a big welcome to Tam, aka Olympic Mummy, to the show. How are you, Tam? Great thank you Jenna how are you? I am very good we've just been talking about all our illnesses and ailments but (laughs) I think we're getting there.
2: (laughs) Yeah it's that season isn't it everybody's just down with something and then I was at the dentist this morning which is no fun but especially not during COVID everybody fully masked up me getting injections was not a fun morning.
1: Oh, I didn't even think about it like that with the masks and everything in the dentist. That's just horrible. (laughs) And what about your little lady? How is she? Is she getting through the season? Okay, so far? She has
2: had an ear infection. She's had some sinus infections. She She's in crash, so she's just sick every three weeks, really. But I've started using probiotics that I found amazing and then giving her some Abidec as well. So if I use both of those in the morning, she actually recovers in about three days every time that I use them. So they're just helping keeping us going because it has been a long uh, winter so far it feels like with sickness how about you
1: yeah this the same here um just continuous sicknesses for the past six weeks or so um and I give them this morning I just started them on some kind of vitamins you know some um heavy duty stuff for for the winter um makes a big difference I must send you the probiotic link actually um it's brilliant and it works in three days oh brilliant that's it because it's like um we're getting things and then they're just about almost recovered and then you send them off to play school and crash again and then it just starts again <laughs> <laughs> I know but look their immune systems
2: are going to be phenomenal that's what my sister hope about. so telling me that's the biggest thing they're going to have amazing immune systems for the rest of their lives less incidence of allergies and loads of great things so look
1: yeah we'll see of- that's great because really I, I feel like this year is just a, a serious one for everybody everybody who I speak to is the same okay so I met you on Instagram probably like probably nearly two years ago now maybe that's yes. It's more than two years because
2: I was pregnant and Erin is now 16 months. And so wow. it's, oh, it's I'd say it's two and a half years. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I can't believe she's so big already. I know. <laughs> it's so funny with COVID, I, so many people haven't met her. You know, I grew up in France and I have lots of friends from when I was in uni in the UK and all around uh, Europe and the US. And none of them have met her in person. It's such a strange life she leads, you know, with a very small circle of people. But luckily, they don't know any different. Well, she doesn't know any different because she's a COVID baby.
1: Yeah, she's just been in a little bubble for the past exactly. while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> happy out she she walked
2: very early so she was climbing things also very early which was a trick uh, it's genetic from her dad uh, her dad's side so she climbs everything I remember when she started in the crash the woman came to me when she was about one and said I think I'm developing anxiety from your child <laughs> Constantly climbing every single thing she can find, and um, so her her development of that was great. But her development of her speech has been much slower, and I was wondering if it's because she's surrounded by people with masks. So, actually, the idea of moving your lips and moving your mouth and tongue—she's obsessed with tongues whenever she sees them because, you know, she spends all day with people with masks. So it's a really interesting journey and it was a really interesting journey having a baby during COVID, but, um, she's happy. Right? She's wow.
1: happy. That's, that's something really interesting. Like I've never thought about that before that could really be having an impact on, on the development, like speech and things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I spoke to the GP about it because I was just a little
2: bit worried, but she's phenomenal at babbling. You know, she babbles constantly. So when you yeah. take her into the GP, she's just babbling away. And so, they keep saying this, you know. It could just be that she needs a bit more time uh, away from people with masks, and so yeah. she can, be, like, you know, make the right shapes. Um, she's pointing to everything and trying to find the words. So maybe it's just time, yeah. That's time. it.
1: I've I've actually time will tell. Um, in general, with the masks thing, I would say, but I've I've definitely yeah. heard it off a lot of um, parents. You know, with kids like around your daughter's age the past okay. while so i wouldn't be surprised but i'd yeah. say you know what it. but once she starts well
2: <laughs> the blog <look. laughs> She already stands at the bottom of the stairs and shouts if you're upstairs and she's at the bottom with the gate to get to get your attention. And she's also doing this amazing thing. I don't know if she learned it in the crash, but she walks up to you and takes your hand and you have to follow her absolutely everywhere. So she takes you into the corner randomly of a room and just sits there with you and then moves you somewhere else so I I can't get anything done it's like having a baby again but I can't put her in a sling she's 13 kilos so
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know I know I see sometimes like pictures of these moms that have still got the babies in the carriers or you know on their backs and they're at like walking or and I'm like how how
2: my back would just be she's way too heavy for that but yeah she'd only last you'd only get five minutes anyway and she'd be wanting to get into whatever you're doing so
1: exactly yeah I'd say she doesn't even love being in a buggy anymore I know mine she won't get in she would she's it's so embarrassing if we go
2: into a supermarket I take her out of the car and as soon as she even sees the buggy she's just screaming at me not to go into it once I get her in, she's fine. But that, that journey between getting out of the car seat and getting into the buggy, if we have to do something like Tesco or whatever, which we have to do because otherwise she runs around picking stuff up off the shelves and hiding it under the buggy. So <laughs> I have to have her in the buggy, otherwise, she just wanders around shoplifting things that she likes the look of, um, which we always pay for. But um, yeah, I had to stop doing that because honestly, I found the most random things underneath in the little basket that she picked up and put in tins of tuna and random bits oh and pieces so. I
1: think I, any parent that says it hasn't happened to them is lying <laughs> you can't oh something in. random <laughs> had to go back in and pay for it all and that was my learning
2: experience so now I'm, I'm prepared with little snacks and stuff to entice her into the buggy but it's not going to last too long she's very strong as well because she's so agile
1: so Oh we'll see (laughs) how long that lasts. Such an adventure, such an adventure. (laughs) Oh yes. We're just going through some uh random 5 a.m. wake-up calls this week from a two and a half year old. Like he slept so well before, but now he's just yeah, just come in and see what's happening with you guys in the morning. (laughs) That's exactly the same. Erin
2: has been up at she started getting up at four and then four thirty. And last night she slept until quarter to six this morning. So that was heaven. Absolutely mm. heaven. Thank goodness.
1: Oh, I know. Imagine quarter to six, heaven. Like, seriously. And how- <laughs> more lives have changed yeah okay well this is a very very first for me and this show and i don't know if it'll ever happen again this is the very first olympian on the show (laughs) it's it's absolutely amazing like i've been okay so first of all tell me what you what you were in the olympics for the winter olympics
2: Yeah, so it was the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City in 2002 and I competed in slalom and giant slalom. So if you've ever watched skiing on TV... There are four disciplines in the alpine skiing, in the downhill skiing. So you've got slalom, giant slalom, super giant slalom, and downhill. And so everybody loves watching the downhill because you're going at 100 kilometers an hour or more, going off these big jumps. Um, and then super giant slalom, still pretty fast, giant slalom, a little bit slower. And then slalom is the one where you see them hitting the gates. So you actually, it looks like they're going to kind of <laughs> headbutt the gate. Um, and so my disciplines were the two slalom. Slightly less dangerous ones um, and yeah it's an it's a it's a really interesting journey kind of leading up to the olympics and i was obviously the first irish woman in a winter olympics which was phenomenal and such an amazing um, I guess, achievement, because you do feel that you have the weight of a gender behind you almost when you get to that point and you realize that up to this point, women have been silent in this arena from an Irish perspective. And so the weight of that was, was, was really interesting at such a young age. But then um, they selected me to carry the flag at the opening ceremony, which was just the most amazing experience you could wow. ever imagine in your entire life where you walk into a stadium and everybody just cheers and you're carrying your flag and it's, there's just nothing quite like it. And so it was such an honor um, to do that as the first Irish woman at, at those winter Olympics. Um, It's moments I will never, ever, ever forget for the rest of my life. It still gives me goosebumps just talking about
1: it. I just got the goosebumps when you told that story. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Unbelievable. And what, led you to be a skier in the first place? Yeah, so my
2: parents met uh, skiing. So they met, my mum was a teacher uh, and she was out with a school group and my dad was a TV director and producer for RTE. He was also um, he used to race motor cars. He did everything that was kind of dangerous back in those days, and so skiing was one of those sports. So he went out, um, uh, went out on a ski holiday. They met, and then they set up a business in France where they bring Irish families out to France and teach them to ski. So I grew up from a very young age in this tiny village in the middle of nowhere in the French Alps, which is you know amazing and pretty much as idyllic as it sounds um you know and was really lucky to go to the local school there and so spoke French from a from a young age Um, and it was a really I think a very grounding and I found now when I look back one of the most impactful pieces of my life to date which was going back at lunch with people who had to milk the cows um, you know seeing people come into school who uh, had multiple holes in their clothes who couldn't afford um, to buy new shoes and I think you know growing up in that environment was so beneficial to me because my life in Ireland was not like that you know we didn't see that in in the school that we went to here so I think having that grounding and understanding that everybody is um, everybody's equal and you know they're all coming from different backgrounds was was really grounding and I think it's really affected me now when I look at the role that I'm doing in my work um and you know the impact that I would like to have for Erin and and the society that she grows up in I think it all came back from from growing up in that small village um with those amazing people who I'm still really good friends with
0: yeah
2: um but because of growing up there in this tiny village skiing was your sport so every, you know, every opportunity you had, you got out in your skis. And we went out as a a class, we went out with our parents, we went out the weekends for fun. And I was very tall at 12. So I was five foot six at 12. Uh, I was taller than all the boys. And skiing is pretty much a gravity sport in a lot of ways. You know, the quickest person to the bottom wins. So as long as you're Uh, tall and big and strong you have an advantage and so I kept winning these local races uh really disappointing all the boys (laughs) in the area um and eventually one of the local ski instructors said to me have you ever thought about racing um but at that point we didn't really know what was available you know was there an Irish team how did it work and so I started off doing some races um for school girls they kind of call it um, and then realized, yes, there was an Irish team and there was um, the opportunity to start training. We did some great stuff up in Kiltiernan in, in, in in Wicklow on the dry slope there. And just gradually... Um, started to to see that this is something that I actually was you know I was okay at and was something yeah. that I really enjoyed, so I did most of my secondary school by correspondence. Uh, those days they used to have to post and fax <laughs> to me, which is very embarrassing and giving away my age. Um, and so I'd receive these big you know these big files in the post or fax, um, and did a lot of self directed learning, which looking back now has also been very useful um, throughout the rest of my life. And so gradually I went to the Junior Olympics. I went to two world championships, um, all competing for Ireland. um, And that really culminated in this goal of wanting to go to the Olympics. And so to do that, when you come from a small nation, you have to be pretty much the only person going because you're not in the top 50 people in the world you know, which makes total sense because you're competing with the likes of Austria and the US and Canada who've, you know, investing millions in each of their individual um, athletes. And so it's quite a lonely sport. It was a really interesting um, experience of traveling the world by myself because it's an individual sport. Um, So I spent a lot of time in New Zealand and Australia because I used to follow the the winter. So Mm -hmm. I went I think I went seven years with no summer once, which was sad, (laughs) very sad. I actually became allergic. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Um, I spent so much time in the winter. (laughs) Um, But but it was this phenomenal goal, you know, this this great north star of um, this idea of really pushing myself to the limit and doing something that so few people in the world get an opportunity to do it's and it's all encompassing but it also you know it is isolating and it is a really interesting experience of being an athlete and Um, in a sport where all the people around you are your competitors. So there's nobody around you who is actually other than your coach, who's usually coaching multiple people, who's there to support you. And my family were amazing. You know, I was so lucky that my mom and dad are so supportive. They remortgaged their house to send me to the Olympics. They put every single euro that they could find into my sport. You know, it was, I don't, as a parent now, I just think, would I remortgage my house to send her to the Olympics? I'm not sure. I, no, I might. But um, it's just a really interesting journey, um, which led up to Salt Lake. And it was the most amazing two weeks I could ever have imagined. You know, I I remember we were given the keys to little cities in Salt Lake. So there's kind of cities dotted within that area. And I went there and there were all these little girls queuing up to get my signature. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, why are you waiting to get my signature? I'm not going to win a medal. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come in the top 10. I'm not probably not even going to come in the top 20. Why are you waiting to get my signature? But it was just this really surreal moment of thinking I actually could influence these girls to change their lives. At this moment, I have the power to say to them, you can do this. You know, this yeah. is actually possible for you. And it was amazing. It was just like I get emotional just even thinking about it, talking about it. It was phenomenal. It was, it was just um, worth all the investment, worth the time, worth crushing two discs in my back, which I'll get into in a minute. It was worth absolutely everything and really set me up for the whole rest of my life.
1: Unbelievable. I'm sure you've paved the way for so many um, young women wanting to get into, you know, winter sports. I'm sure you've had so much contact with people like that. Yeah, it was amazing
2: afterwards. So my sister actually, who's now a doctor, she went to two Olympics after me. So she went to Turin and to Vancouver. Um, And she's the only Irish woman to go to two Winter Olympics, which is Phenomenal, um, but yeah, there there were moments when we we came back to to Dublin and we did this tour of uh, of girls' schools, and it was part of the International Olympians Foundation, where after you come back, you spend some time thinking about, you know, how do you start to drive change in the area of gender equality, and so they put together this whole program where you do some speaking. So I went back to my school um, and spoke actually with Katie Taylor. Wow. We spoke together, which was amazing, and then we went into all of these different schools—dash schools around Dublin—and um, we spoke to the to the girls there. And it's interesting because obviously I grew up with a lot of privilege. You know, I had the opportunity to go and ski and and a lot of sports like skiing would be pretty elitist. You know, when you think about it, because you have to usually spend so much money to go on holiday and do all that. I was lucky enough to grow up in the Alps, and so it was slightly different for me, but I still come at it with a lot of privilege in my background. And so going into these schools, I was trying to think about the ways to inspire them without coming across as, you know, this is super easy and anybody can do it. And so the messaging was really more that actually it doesn't matter whether it's a sport or whether it's your maths or whether it's geography or whether it's art or makeup artistry or hairdressing, that actually The most important thing is that you know what you want to do and you put the effort into doing it. And if you do that with the right people around you, you can absolutely achieve anything. And so that was kind of the messaging we worked together to deliver was that power of really thinking about the impact that you can have as an Olympian on all of these you know people from different backgrounds who might never play a sport yeah. could be inspired to just do something that's meaningful to them and i just loved that i loved every minute of it i uh, when I was working my first few jobs, I did junior achievement, which I know other people have done where you go into schools and you teach schools. Now, I would never have been a very good t- primary school teacher, but I just loved it um, because it was kind of continuing that messaging of it was all around savings and investments and stuff. But it was just that that messaging and that idea that you can change somebody's life to me is kind of what keeps me going and is kind of under underneath everything that I that I do.
1: Yeah, that seems to be kind of a theme that has run throughout your life now since with your current job and everything. And whenever you had such a big lead up to go into the Winter Olympics, you must have felt a great pressure. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting sport.
2: You have a lot of failure, so you spend a lot of time failing because very few people win, right? So you, it's its really useful as a child, because you go into these competitions, not expecting to win, you might win some, you might lose some, but that understanding that failure is okay, mm-hmm. is really beneficial. I found in my life that you know, that if you fail, everything is still going to be okay, yeah. and you will get another chance. So Coming up towards the Olympics, the pressure on me, I think, was more how do I represent my country and, and my gender in a way that makes everybody proud? And that's not my, my natural inclination is actually is, is internal motivation. So I'm usually internally motivated to do well for myself and to try and achieve goals for myself. So that external pressure was definitely a lot. Yeah. Uh, coming up to that moment. And especially when I knew I was going to get to carry the flag, there's that level of, <laughs> are you going to trip? Are you going to Responsibility? Fall <laughs> yeah. How do you, and how do you talk about it? Um, and because there were other people there that could have been selected and they chose me. And so, um, you know, how do you, how do you bring everybody along on that journey? And, and it was, yeah sport is is a phenomenal equalizer when people are when people are are given the right opportunity and the right supports and the right level of funding to get to the table you know once everybody is there and has had the right experience and the right support it's a great equalizer and you do you do learn a lot about yourself and a lot about failure as part of it but um the pressure as well of competing at that level you kind of build up to it. So it doesn't just suddenly happen to you. You know, you're so used to going to races. You're used to showing up um, and doing your best, but there was definitely an added level of pressure. And I knew it was going to be on TV and I knew people were going to be watching. So oh, wow. that was very stressful because nobody really had watched me except for my parents watching the odd video. So um, that was definitely an added pressure, but I'm I'm so proud with how I did um, and I'm so proud that I finished both of my races and I have my name now on the record books, and that yeah. can't be taken away from me. So, you know, it's it certainly, it feels like a lifetime ago. It is a lifetime ago, it's 20 years ago, but it's, you know. Yeah, but I'm very proud of it.
1: You're an absolute inspiration and you've carried on spreading this message of, you know, power and you can do anything that you set your mind to. And it's just amazing. But besides this, I think some people might look at skiing that haven't been skiing and think, you know, just going down a hill, like just <laughs> simple. I've been skiing. <laughs> it's, oh. it's not easy. <laughs> it is not. It's, it's not an easy word. I've been skiing twice. I will try again. Well, I'm soon going to be married into a family that does enjoy skiing. Okay. He's a great skier. Okay. I am a joke. <laughs> But You just need the
2: right teacher, that's all. just need the right teacher.
1: I really admire, I really admire your skill. It's just a a super talent. Um, Would you say that it's something that if you're getting into it, as they say, it's like a thing that is easier when you're younger or do you think that you can get into skiing at any age? I think you can get into it at any age, but I do think for anybody who has
2: smallies, it is a lot more beneficial to start before they get that kind of fear setting in around six or seven, where they might start to be afraid of heights or start to kind of question it. I think if you could get in before that, the same as any sport, you know, the skills you pick up before the age of seven are a lot of the skills that you have in terms of hand-eye coordination, balance. Those are all the things you pick up before that. So I think if you can get your children on skis before seven, it's, it's definitely beneficial. But I think at any age, it's like any sport, if you have the right Coach, if you have somebody who can help you to speak the language of ski instructing in a way that makes sense to you. You know, I'm a qualified ski instructor. I did that on the build-up to the Olympics, and I found that really useful to understand what it's like to coach people uh, who are coming to this from different ages, different experiences, different cultures, different backgrounds. It's a really interesting journey of learning to ski, but like any sport. Uh, it takes investment and yeah. unfortunately the falls and skiing are not fun. Major injuries happen. So I'd be getting the right instructor. I'd be going up to and to do some practice if you can, to get some hours in there, building up some basics. Um, even just a day there is great before you go away and then get a good instructor. Take your time, do some research, Google it, make sure you're getting the right ski school and then yeah. you'll be sported. you can enjoy those family holidays
1: <laughs> i remember putting the ski boots on for the first time thinking whoa i can this isn't yeah. like i imagined <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: it's uh they're heavy and sore it's lovely to take them off at the end of the day yeah
1: yeah definitely so um skiing is a it's a high risk sport um and you, you mentioned earlier your back. Did that happen as a result of skiing? Yeah, I fell
2: in downhill, which is the really fast one. I went off a jump and the wind caught my skis. Uh, I was going about 100 kilometers, I think. And I fell, um, well, maybe not 100 kilometers. That's the top speed. So I had no idea exactly what speed I was going, but I fell... Uh, on the bottom of my tailbone and gradually over time realized something wasn't right. So uh, because in, in the Olympics, you can't uh, use any steroids or anything that could be banned, I couldn't actually have any steroidal injections into my spine. And so I just worked with an amazing Olympic physio, Mary-Lane Grant, and she helped me to pull all the muscles out to support the discs. But the consultant did say to me, you do realize if you fall, that you could be paralyzed. So you should probably stop. And this was right before the Olympics. So as soon as I had finished the Olympics, I really wound it down um, and didn't do very much. And even now I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be doing anything too dangerous because I have to really protect my back. But luckily that was really the worst of it. You know, I have knees that are like lead. So I managed to not get that many injuries anywhere else, luckily, but A lot of people do get neck and ankle injuries, but not if you're a recreational skier. So anybody
1: who's listening, I
2: think it's not that dangerous And when you start and you start at the beginner slopes and you build up.
1: Yeah, you're 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 talking like bombing it down the black slopes at 100 kilometers an hour. It's a a different story. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So um, then do you still ski now or did you decide to give it up completely or? We still
2: ski a little bit, Um, so we would try and go at least once a year. We hope to take Erin at some point this year, but with COVID, obviously, we haven't really been able to go anywhere, so who knows, but my husband is a snowboarder and a skier, so um he had snowboarded a few times before we met and then he learned to ski after we met and he's he's great now so I think it'll be a nice family holiday for us to do in the future but with COVID we probably wouldn't be going over and kind of getting in packed lifts and you know she's too little; she can't get vaccinated so not this year but yes we're still we still love it
1: wow so it's really in the family then that's amazing (laughs) and um I saw sometimes like a little bit of a rivalry between the skiers and the snowboarders. That exists. (laughs) That exists. But he bridges the gap. He brings us all together. Amazing, amazing. I wonder what the little lady's going to, maybe she's just going to love both, you know? Maybe, Maybe
2: whatever she whatever sport she wants to do, we will be hundred percent behind her. And if she doesn't want to do a sport, that's absolutely fine as well. Whatever she loves, although neither of us are artistic, so I don't see that being in her future. But you never know;
1: you never know. I think with the you know the amazing balance and the climbing, I think you know she's going to she take might. after mom and dad. You <laughs> might. Uh, so tell me what it's been like since having your little woman. What is life like with a little baby? Do you know, it has been, it was such a roller coaster having her
2: and, you know, all of the fertility um, challenges that we overcame having her, I think has made it, I don't think it's made it more special because you can never make it more special, right? Having a child is just such a special thing, but I definitely think that it, there are moments when I just look at her and cannot believe she's there. It happens all the time. It happened this morning when I was in getting my filling. I popped into Penny's and I was in the queue uh, to get her some pajamas for Christmas. And I thought to myself, how many years ago did you wish you were in Penny's with pajamas for your baby? You know, and so that just I think has kind of changed my journey a little bit Um, because every single day there is a moment where I just, cannot believe she is there. There are also moments where I would love a break <laughs> and she's screaming at me, but um it's been it's been a journey. It's been tough. It was tough being at home um during lockdowns with her when she was very small. You know it was very difficult for Matt's parents who couldn't come up and see her because they were in Galway when we were we were stuck in that five k limit for so long. so Um, and he has a brother over in Sweden so look there were moments that were challenging certainly over the last 16 months but overall it has just been such a joy to have her and it's totally changed our lives in some ways for the better in some ways you know we both miss our sleep but (laughs) we're very happy to give it up for her Um, so yeah it's just been a journey with lots of ups and downs but overall I think it's been it's, it's everything I ever thought it would be and just you know a lot more.
1: Wow. I know it must have been so strange going through that fertility process to have her. And then basically when you did, then you're just smack bang in the middle of this crazy world. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And I think, you know, fertility journeys, everybody has a different one and it's whatever you're going through, you do feel alone, which is really Which is really interesting because, especially with social media and support groups and everything, you would think that that's not how you feel, Mm -hmm. but it's just such a personal. Journey and everybody is coming to it from different angles. You know, for me, I was used to just setting my mind to something and it happening. So when we decided to have a baby, I just assumed I set my mind to it. I take all the vitamins and the supplements. You know, I use all the ovulation kits out there. I track everything. I make sure my AMH is good and I do all these things. And then, boom, we're just Mm going to have baby after baby after baby and everything's going to be fine. And I think you know, when you get a year in, you're starting to think, hang on a minute, maybe I'm not in control of this situation anymore. You know, maybe I actually can't just make this happen. Um, and then we started meeting consultants. Some were really negative and we had very, you know, difficult conversations. Some were very positive um, and very hopeful. And it was just a very, yeah, very lonely, very challenging journey um, to having her, and then randomly. And then I had just decided. So when I conceived her, I had just decided I'm fine without having a child. We had made the decision in our minds actually, I won't put my body through this anymore. I'm done with this. This, I'm no more injections, no more supplements, no more medications, no more consultants. I'm keeping my. Trousers on for the foreseeable future. Like no more appointments. I just need a break and not even a break. I just decided we have a wonderful life. We're so lucky. We're so privileged. We're both working. You know, we bought a house at the time where the market was down. So, you know, we had all these wonderful things going for us and I just made up my mind we are just really lucky and we just have to make the best of our lives. And then about a month later, no joke, I was um, at the swimming pool with my sister and she just kind of looked at me and she said, I think your chest is significantly bigger than normal. And I said, no, 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 no. It's just the swimsuit. You know, I was in Italy, I drank wine and I ate bread. It's just bloating. And she said, I'm not sure it's just bloating. Maybe you should just take a pregnancy test. So I went home and I remember taking the test. And I just, I remember Matt saying to me, um, you can get false positives. So, you know, we, we talked about that before. You can get false positives. So let's not get our hopes up. So I did one test and it was ages old. And I thought, I just kind of went downstairs And both of us were just staring at it, thinking, (laughs) is that actually a positive pregnancy test? Or have we lost our minds? So I sent him off to Tesco to buy another 100 of them. No, (laughs) only about seven. But honestly, I did all seven and they all came back positive. And then I realized this is mad. You know, the moment we had just kind of decided that, you know, we're okay without it and I stopped all the medication, here she is. Um, and I was really lucky to have a very easy, straightforward pregnancy, um, which was just bizarre after all the stuff I'd gone through. I was kind of expecting to have extra checks and, you yeah. know, you know, all the stuff, but because it was natural and because she just came along and everything was fine, it was such an easy pregnancy. And then I had a really easy labor, I had a horrific time breastfeeding, but everything else was, you know, was a really smooth journey. And had kind of come at the point where I did give away the control. You know, yeah. I did kind of just say, like, actually. You know, and I don't think that that has anything to do with it because I remember when I was conceiving, I was so annoyed when people said to me, "We're trying to get pregnant." I was so annoyed when people said to me, "Just relax and it mm-hmm. will happen. Just relax and it will happen." It was the most annoying, upsetting, hurtful thing anybody ever said to me. So I don't want people to hear, "Oh, I suddenly relaxed." and all of a sudden. Yeah. I don't think that was it. I think it was our time, but I I wonder if part of it was the kind of the the just total giving up of control and saying okay what you know whatever happens happens yeah I do think that was probably part of it for my body anyway
1: for Um, your body and
2: your mind yes yes reducing the level of stress and if I look back now I think that when I was trying to think about what I wanted to say for this podcast around the fertility and I think there were three things I would have done differently so number one I would have got them to spend more time doing tests so doing more tests trying to understand were there any challenges with both my husband and I so much deeper testing before we jumped into anything else I think the second thing I would have done is tried more of a diet and exercise regime first so try to eat all the foods that have have the right type of nutritional balance try and make sure I'm not over exercising or under exercising and then the third one is I probably would have gone more natural first rather than kind of being pushed towards the more extreme fertility support yeah I think you know, everybody kept saying, oh, if you go down the IVF route, you're shortening your time to conceive, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think people understand when they say that, that that's for a very small percentage of people. And actually all of those operations for me and my body just, I, it found it very stressful. You know, yeah. it didn't it didn't respond at all. My body just doesn't really respond to that. It responds a lot more to kind of natural things. And so those are the things I would have done differently is just insisted on more testing, tried more natural, you know, ways of doing it and then started with a consultant who had a more natural approach to it and wanted to take things a little bit slower. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, but I can understand, um, I'd say when you get to a certain point, the frustration because we were trying for, we'd been together for a long time and we were trying for a while, nothing was happening. And I had actually booked a consultant and then found out I was pregnant (laughs) like a few weeks (laughs) after. You know, it's it's so, so strange. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it could be something to do with that, you know, letting your body just relax and the stress that you put yourself under. It could yeah. be anything,
2: you know. I could so have many been,
1: things. Maybe some of the supplements did work, you know, yeah. and they
2: did help to build this great egg that would be Erin, you know, or maybe it was something else. I don't know, but I think there's just this rush to to go down a more medical route. I think everybody's journey is different. It's what prompts me to write my posts. Um, just in case there's one person who, you know, who it might impact
1: definitely because it's having the information available you know yes. Like two two and a half years then now coming on three back then I wouldn't have um known all of the different no. you know routes that you can go down and different things totally. that you can look into but now yeah. you know I, I think hopefully we'll try for another one but <laughs> um not not successful yet but you know we'll 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 keep keep going and see what happens first before going down yeah. any kind of a medical route. But, you know, everybody's different, as you said. Yes. everybody's different. Um, and what is the next part of your journey? Yeah. So, Um, On
2: the baby side, so we actively started trying for baby number two in December, have not had a lot of luck so far. We had a miscarriage um, earlier in the year, thank you, um, which was very early. Um, And actually, I came away with a lot of hope that we could get pregnant naturally again. You know, that's kind of was my takeaway from it. Um, It hasn't happened since, started to go a little bit more down the medical road, because this time is very different to last time. So this time, obviously, we know that my body is capable of having, you know, of developing a healthy pregnancy. And so this time... They're just trying to understand why the lining of my womb is not thickening up at all. Um, and they think that that's why the miscarriage happened earlier in the year. So taking some medication to try and help that and seeing what we can do with that. But, you know, I have I really hope we have a sibling for Erin because I think she would just be so much fun as an elder sibling. But actually, I am so happy with our lives and I feel so thankful with where we are. And so if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I don't have the same feeling that I had before Erin of I just desperately want a baby. So it was all consuming, whereas now it's it would be a wonderful addition. And, you know, we are it's a crazy family. We're so busy always you know, doing lots of different things and getting outside and it's a mad environment, but I would love to, to have another one to join the little, the little bunch, but we'll see what happens. We're just so blessed and so thankful that we have one. So look, if we get another one, we'll just, you know,
1: you have a a beautiful family and you're just going to see what the future holds for you. Yeah. We're the same. I think we're kind of the same way as well. Another another addition would be lovely, but we'll see how we go. (laughs) Exactly, Exactly. I think, you know, especially in the world
2: that we live in now with COVID and which isn't going to go away anytime soon. I think that kind of focus on the little things that you can do to have something exciting to look forward to and kind of distract from the fertility stuff. I found really beneficial because I was, you know, I could see myself starting to get a little bit more. Um, concerned with this and it was really affecting my mood and so now I'm just taking a step back and trying to say okay in this COVID world what do I need yeah. what are the things I actually need to you know to be happy and to be living my best life and going back to a counselor soon which I can't wait uh, who I spoke to previously and just find life coaching amazing and a great way of supporting and so trying to think of things like that so that yeah it happens it happens but if not I'm finding the joy in all of the days that we have and you know trying to be the best the best partner and the best mom that I can and then you know obviously I have a very busy job as well so just trying to keep it all
1: keep it all going yep keep all the balls juggling in the air <laughs> exactly I <laughs> am um- I could talk to you all day. So I'm just going to ask you your mom's inspiration there. <laughs> so, who is your mom's inspiration? <laughs> so, I was thinking about that. And
2: I have some of the most amazing friends who are phenomenal moms and they all bring something totally different to the table. So, I actually, well, my own mom obviously is, you know, the most important inspiration for me. And she's just the most amazing woman um and supported us through our sport and through all of the challenges of life you know with this really open mind but I think the biggest inspiration is actually just all of the women I see who are going through really difficult times who've overcome you know difficult situations and who are just the best mom's you could ever imagine you know i actually all of my friends are the most amazing moms and i learn so much from them every day i think to me they're probably the biggest inspiration of day to day. How do you keep going when you come across difficult situations? Like we were talking earlier about, you know, this constant sickness, you know, how, how can you still be a good mom when you're actually exhausted and run down? And so seeing how they're overcoming it and what they're doing is just really, really inspirational. So that's,
1: that's beautiful. I love it. Absolutely (laughs) love it. (laughs) Friends, friends are just Amazing.
2: Yeah. I don't know what I, I just really don't know what I would do without them. I I don't even want to think about it. I know yeah. it's,
1: it's like a constant, like um, any question you have or any doubt you have, it's just right on, right on the phone. Yeah. They're that blanket. What is it? Like the weighted blanket. You yes. Know, that support. That's
2: actually what they're like. I would not be able, if I couldn't just message on WhatsApp and say, look, this has just happened. You know, what do I do? I, you know, yeah, I don't know what I would do. We're very lucky.
1: So lucky. Thank you so much for being on the show, Tam. It's been absolutely amazing and such a special episode thank you for
2: asking me and best of luck with Hiccup it's it's amazing I'm loving all the stories of the other mums so keep up the brilliant work and I can't wait to listen to all of the podcasts you have coming up
0: thank you so much thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode please follow us on instagram at hiccup pod for news and updates check out www.irishmamabias.ie slash hiccup and don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast streaming app